Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keyes and is Monty. Um, Adam, how are you doing? Uh, the day after the night where Arsenal really pulled out probably one of their best performances this season, if not probably the best performance this season, in my opinion. Actually, Liverpool was quite good as well. I don't know. Where do you rank this? It's up there. I think it's it's one of those against a good team. They've been leaking a few goals, but they are a good team. And um, they've been winning games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing, as you guys know. I, I live in the Northeast. I work in Newcastle. And I got so much shit after the last one. And it was just like... Just all the nonsense and everything that went on around that game. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to be very smug in my office tomorrow when I walk in the door. I did get a text before kickoff from one of my colleagues said, no matter what happens tonight, I still love you. <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, so I'm buzzing. I think it's right up there with the best. You're right, Liverpool. Um, but City at the Emirates as well. It's definitely up there amongst those performances. Just brilliant, brilliant performance and beautiful win. Yeah, Monty, from a purely performance basis, uh, taking away the context of, you know, the title race, we were very much in control from the very first minute. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were two sort of contrasting performances. Um, If you're looking at both halves, one was very dominant, the other one was very controlled. How are you feeling after that um, emphatic victory? And and where do you rank this uh, in sort of the mix with all the other great performances and results that we've had this season? Yeah, this is a solid result. I think uh, the first five passes compared to the first five passes against Porto showed what kind of game we're getting. Um, Was already in their final third within like. 20 seconds if that um, and then you go to the port game which just dispossessed and was just sloppy so you kind of got an idea straight off the bat I think performance wise like Adam was saying like Newcastle when they, they were actually good they were they they actually when, when we were stuck in our final third their pressing was actually on point it was just purely based down to uh, our performance that made them look poor um, it's got to be up there it's got to be up there one of the best performances of the season um, I think conceding the goal was a bit of a blunder on it but Going into a performance base, yeah, it was a it was a class. It was it was a class. I I would put it, I would almost almost put it as high as a Liverpool game because I think the Liverpool one, the level of competition was just much higher, and we still managed to dominate them. Um, and I'm not saying Newcastle weren't a good team; they are a very good team, um, but just the pure like domination that we had in that sort of. Uh, thought of the first 60 minutes of that Liverpool game was just crazy um, so I'm going to put it up there I'll put it in as our second best I think the, and then then I'll go City just underneath it mm. um, Adam as Monty kindly reminded us it was very different to the Porto game a very different sort of performance as well um, Monty was there to witness it in the flesh and actually before I go to you Adam Monty tell us about your experience in Porto um, you're obviously there in the stadium it wasn't the it wasn't the result that we wanted nor did we see the performance that we were expecting uh, what were the what was the experience like in Porto it was great I would um, although we didn't win um, I mean my cup record is pretty poor and it continues to be pretty poor uh, but I will say like to any Arsenal fan, you should do an away day. It, whether it's Europe, whether it's an away day, just do an away day. It's class. Um, 
it was just everyone was sort of like together. Um, all the all the fans, there there was so much hype. Like it was just chanting all day, uh, coming up to stadium. Like you had all the locals taking photos and pictures of us because we were just well, we just dominated their squares and their pubs. That's for sure. Um, and then yeah, the game itself was was was. I mean, the performance was poor, as as I think uh, well, you've discussed in detail. Um, it was a poor performance from us. Um, but in terms of uh, the experience, like, do I regret it? No, absolutely not. It was absolutely class, um, and I would hundred percent do it again. Hundred percent do it again. It was just, it's just something you've got to experience. I think uh, any Arsenal fan should because it's, um, it's, it's, it's it's different. It's very different to go into like the home game. It's just uh, you're in a different country, new traditions, and you can turn it into a little holiday as well if you want to. I mean, our weather mm. was poor, so I couldn't. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, as 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 Monty was um, just reminding us, the Porto performance wasn't great. I mean, we had we had our differences in opinion about the Champions League, about the nature of the final, uh, the la- round of uh, last sixteen. However, it felt like. Arsenal were playing with a little bit of venom, with a little bit of bite against Newcastle. Very different kind of approach. Why do you think that was? Why do you think we were able to generate such, like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Furiousness. Yeah, explosive ferocity. Yeah, that's right. Um, Compared to, you know, uh, midweek against Porto. I think there were a few factors. Um, first off, uh, people need to remember how inexperienced we are in the Champions League, that this side has never played in it together. That There isn't, aside from El Nani, as far as I'm aware, there isn't a single Arsenal player that's played for Arsenal in the Champions League at this stage of the competition. And um, I think that has a factor. Our pedigree in Europe's really, really poor. We're a long way from being the side we are in the Premier League. We haven't advanced past the last 16 for 14 years. So I think that, I guess, knowing that, that inexperience, I think there was a level of cautiousness about Porto that we showed. I think we we needed to do more in the final third, but ultimately we dominated the game against Porto. You don't go away, have that much of the ball and play badly. We just didn't do it in the final third. And ultimately it cost us at the end, but... Obviously, this game was very different. We started with Venom, Pace, Pyre. I think that there was also an element of, I guess, revenge that came into it. And I know some of the players after the game said what ha- happened at St. James has fired them up that bit more. So mm-hmm. th- there is no doubt that y- you have to remember as well, the, the whole Arteta scandal they left that running for months. Like that went on for the best part of two months before they had uh, disgraced the uh, thing came out. Um, Sky Sports had it took two weeks before Sky Sports did the like VAR audio reveal and all. They made it into this huge soap opera. Arsenal were mm. like pantomime villains for weeks, and then eventually Arteta obviously got cleared, but it felt like he was going to be banned for the Liverpool game. There was all the controversy, and I think that would have fired the players up even more. And then we're obviously playing so well in the league right now that we we want to keep that momentum going. City and Liverpool won midweek. City won just before we kicked off. So there was pressure on them, and 
I honestly think as well, the Porto result would have given them an even bigger kick up the arse before the game started. So you put all those factors together and it's no reason or no wonder we came out fire. And, and we had two corners in the first minute of the game. But that's insane. Yeah, and I also think the the lineup had had a part to play. Uh, the system that we set up in a uh, little bit different to what we were used to seeing with Jorginho coming in to the middle, allowing Declan Rice to pick up in a little bit more of an advanced position, as well as having Havertz play in that centre forward role. Um, Monty, were you surprised that Arteta went for those two changes? We're not used to seeing many changes. And I guess the only times they come in is when it's needed or, you know, on the back of a defeat or when um, performances haven't been great in the previous game. Do you think the, the, the Porto performance warranted those changes? I don't. <clears throat> to be honest, I don't think it was uh, down to the poor performance of why he made these changes. I, I purely just think it was down to a game plan perspective. And I, and I applauded both of them. When I saw the the lineup straight off the bat, I wanted Jorginho in there. Because if I'm at Newcastle, and, uh, we've this, they're not a bad team. They are quite solid defensively. You need line splitting passes because what they do is they'll, they'll, they'll happily not pressure in the middle, but the second you, you pass out, they'll they'll press that winger. They'll press that winger. Do you know what I mean? So you need those those line splitting passes. And Jorginho was like the conductor for us today. Um, or sorry, for yesterday for the game. And they gave him that if if we were to say put in Kai Havertz in that midfield and have Trossard up front, that we did against Porto, we would have had a completely different game. It'd have been a very different, frustrating game. It'd have been back and forth. But the, because Georgina was there, and we've discussed it multiple times here, and I know me and Adam have gone to discussion on the 15 minute, is he's so good at pacing a game. He can stop the ball, put it on his foot, and goes right, looks up, and goes, mm, no, no. He's kind of like a he's like a quarterback. He, he reminds me much of a quarterback. And the, I actually put on my notes like the the way that I had Jorginho is he was the conductor and then you had Erdegaard who was the aggregator. He 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 was the one that was starting presses. He was the one that getting them there, but Jorginho was the one who paced it. So I, I was all for the changes. I don't think it was necessarily for the Porto performance. I think with the Porto performance, I wanted Jorginho on as soon as possible, really. Uh, not as late as he did come on. I think Declan Rice had a poor game in that game and could have potentially, we could have put an, um, Jorginho in there and, and had a bit more of a fluid midfield. But hey-ho, I'm, I'm not the manager. I don't make those decisions. Um, so for me, it was good. The only one thing I was um, a little bit maybe concerned of, but do you know what? I'm going to put my hands up and say it. I am now a Havertz convert. I, I think he had a, a fantastic. I think he had a great performance, and I was a little bit worried about um, him being up front, just because uh, the, the sheer like height and um, that that Newcastle have at the back. I thought they would sort of negate his aerial ability. I think we needed someone with a little bit more technical, technically a bit a bit more gifted in in the sense they can keep the ball close to him like a Trossard. So that was my one worry. Um, but hey, in hindsight, he, he had an outstanding performance and break into it. So no, I think the, as a whole, I was really happy with the lineup. I had no issues, but I don't necessarily think, I think it was purely down to a game plan perspective, nothing to do with Porto. That's that, my opinion. Okay, cool. Um, Adam, as you mentioned, in the first 30 seconds of the game, two corners um, and a really positive start from Arsenal. Uh, Saka hitting a shot from 25 yards out, real intent, um, quick tempo, and 
I noticed a, a great deal of differences tactically, which made us look really fluid and really effective. Um, what did you notice? How were we able to bypass Newcastle's, um, you know, efficiency as we kind of like to um, often, you know, describe them as? How were we able to mute them so well? Um, first off, Jorginho played in that six rule. Um, in recent games, like in the Liverpool game, for example, Rice played very much in the base six. Was um, Jorginho playing more advanced than him? Uh, so this this game was very much switched around. Rice was really getting forward, and very early on, we saw him down in that left hand corner, really doubling up with Martinelli. The two of them going at the the Newcastle kind of right side of the pitch, and Trippy has been in fairly poor form all season. He, he's really struggled since um, I guess since he was caught having an affair and so on, and all that broke. The um, he hasn't really been able to shake his personal life off and get rid of it on the pitch, but. We we saw Rice, at Martinelli and Havertz, all of them down in that corner very early on, putting the pressure on. And it, the, the thing I noticed and why we were able to maintain that intensity for, for so long in the game was we kind of hunted and pressed in units. And there was a maximum of four players at any one time exerting like full energy. The, the rest of it was all about shape and structure. So whenever maybe three or four players went at players in a man-to-man press, the others were really, really rigid in their shape and they were there to receive, they were there to uh, pounce if the ball did break loose. And it meant that when we pressed Newcastle, if they cleared it, we got the ball back straight away. And that enabled us, because we had that kind of really organized shape we were able to just get the ball keep recycling it and keep putting the pressure on so every time they got rid of it we came straight back at them so we never fully let them set and again we saw very early on with Havertz through the middle he was giving us that big central presence and he he was charging all over him and Odegaard together they've got a really coordinated press and I think with Rice in that more advanced role they, we, we had that bit more power in and around them too. So that really helped. And then obviously two and a half minutes in, we saw what the pressure was doing to Trippier. And for an experienced player like that to be caught out two and a half minutes in when Havertz closed him down, um, ultimately Newcastle got a free kick, but Havertz won the ball off him, got it out wide and was unlucky to concede a free kick. But I think that really set the tempo for us at that point because that's like if you dwell on the ball for a second we're going to kill you we're out here for blood and we we want to make sure we batter you in this game yeah look um you know we don't really see uh these types of starts from arsenal we we i mean this was very reminiscent of what we were used to seeing last season and i think one of the key um tactical differences in this game against Newcastle was how we were deploying our right-hand side, uh, in particular, Saka. Over the last few games, and actually this season as a whole, he's found it really tough to find the kind of freedom that he was used to seeing or used to finding last season. Now he's having to battle two, sometimes three, um, you know, defensive players who make it really difficult. Um, the overlapping run hasn't been as um, 
it hasn't been as, as consistent as last season. And so it was really refreshing for me to see Saka playing a really effective, but, you know, strangely genius um, interchanging role with Martin Odegaard. I noticed it yesterday and I was like, oh my God, why have we not done this before? This is brilliant. This is excellent because now you cannot mark Bakayo Saka out of the game. He, 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 in the, in the opening few minutes, um, he cuts into the middle and he's such a good dribbler. Naturally, he just looks, you know, um, like he's made to play in that kind of advanced, uh, almost 10 role. Odegaard goes out wide a little bit and it just messes up the defensive flow um, of Newcastle. You know, it's a shock to the system, really. And and as you mentioned, we were talking about this um, just before we started, everyone working really, really hard, including Havertz um, in the middle of the pitch, playing with a lot more energy than what we're used to seeing. However, we do often um, we do often see that teams, particularly Arsenal, sometimes when they play with such high energy, such high intensity, um, you know, mistakes can happen and you're you know, you risk really um, letting the opponent in because we're playing such a high line or alternatively, in this case, Odegaard receiving a, a, an early yellow card for a mistimed tackle. Very rash. And I kind of, I guess it epitomized the the start to the game. Um, but yeah, ultimately beautiful, you know, combination passes and link up plays across the pitch, particularly with Jorginho, who, as you mentioned, Adam, was pivotal for allowing Declan Rice to play in a more advanced area, in a more advanced role. Me and you had our um, differences or have our differences about Declan Rice's best role and maybe where he's most effective. Monty, where do you want to see Declan Rice play? Because now we've seen him in kind of both roles as an eight, as a six. With Jorginho, he can play as an eight because he's allowed, he's given that freedom to express himself. And by doing so, he um, adds uh, that kind of uh, intensity, that explosiveness needed to close down the opposition early, retrieve the ball quicker. And um, he's a great ball carrier as well. Um, on the on the flip side, defensively, he adds so much structure, so much um, discipline, as well as just being a really good defensive midfielder, just shoring up that space and owning that kind of um, portion of the pitch. Where where do you where would you rather see him play? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> Declan Rice. He's got he's got why well, he's got a very unique set of abilities. Um, he can do pretty much everything. Um, in regards to sort of his position, I think seeing Jorginho in the way that he can play the six, um, just purely being able to. He has a he has just a, a better understanding. He has that more experience, so he understands when to when to speed up, when to slow it down, when to put it out. And there's sort of that that moment. I think it was around the tenth minute where we saw Declan Rice what he can do because when Jorginho got the ball in, it goes sort of into Erdegaard. It's direct because he was direct all game. He didn't. He was not doing any sideways passes. There were only when it was necessary. But when he could, he was putting it straight forward. He went straight up to Erdegaard. Erdegaard on the one flicks it around the corner to Declan Rice. And Declan Rice turns it and he's running straight on goal. Unfortunately, he takes a shot and it goes um, for a save. But that's what we can see with Declan Rice. Because I think what I would like to see with Declan Rice is if he goes into that sort of eight advanced role, 
you've got a very good player and he can drive the ball. We've seen it and he did it multiple times in the game. He was driving up 25, 30 metres. I mean, in the second half, he did one, well, sort of not second half, sort of uh, towards it and he was in our final third and then we pushed it up into sort of halfway and got a throw in. Declan Rice can do that. And if if you have an advanced eight who can tackle and intercept and aren't like sort of his position is just on point for, for intercepting, if you can have that so high up the pitch when it comes to pressing, that's when you contain teams because there were sort of two main things I noticed from the game in terms of a game plan perspective. One, we respected Newcastle's press. So that is why we literally didn't play out from the back. We were like, do not play out from the back and invite pressure. Get it over that first bit as quick as possible and get into the midfield. Because once you're in the midfield, Newcastle, I don't, I don't know why or, or why they said a lot that they don't really press the midfield. They sort of sit everyone back and then they counter. Once you get past their press, they they sit back and and then try and counter. And that's why they're really explosive uh, and score those goals. But they've also conceded quite a few compared to last year. But I think they're what, the fifth top scoring team this year? Um, so they've got, they've got goals behind them. Um, and then on top of that, when when on our game plan, our game was obviously just get over that first press, don't play in the final third and get the middle, put the middle in. And then you spoke about it with Saka sort of um, coming in cross. What I noticed with Saka, but predominantly, and it was allowing Declan Rice a bit more freedom, he would drift in, you'd have him sitting next to Havertz and then they were effectively working as two nines. Um, and then what would, that would basically shore up Shaw and Botman. They were stopped. And then what you'd get is you get Ben White going into that, that right wing space with Saka, but then he would dummy. So as Saka's drifting back into his goal, Ben White would pull out and that drew out Livramento so many times. And there was this perfect pass that unfortunately Martin Erdegaard um, took it. He thought it was for him and just, I mean, great touch, but should have left it because you had Saka just open space, could have, could have taken it from a Jorginho again, direct pass. So it was a clear pattern what was going on and Declan Rice as well he he was one when Georgina was stepping to that right Declan Rice was sitting more in a central role he could intercept he'll be there for any of the counters so I want to see him more in an eight because he he brings the directness he's calm he's great at tackling he's great at passing and he has got a bit of power on him so I don't see why um we shouldn't be able to bring him on really um and then just just going into a bit more of it, I mean, you can touch on, I mean, even a bit later with Kai Havertz and going up forward, his positioning was on point with Erdegaard. Like, it's just a much better, we're a much better team, I think, with Declan Rice in that advanced eight role because it, it, it allows more freedom. It just allows more freedom. So with Kai, because instead of having Declan Rice in that six and Kai Havertz in that eight, you don't get the best out of Kai. I think with Kai going up front and using his aerial ability, he's not necessarily going to strike the ball per se, uh, but he did get a goal and it was from a beautiful, again, Jorginho over the top, catches the pass from, well, sees Gabriel's uh, or Martinelli's run across and it was just beautiful. But I I, I don't know. I just want to see Declan Rice in that eight role because I feel like when he was at West Ham, he was forced into that six role because no offence to West Ham, they're just not as good as us. Uh, and they, they've had to defend most games that they play. So he, he was good at it, so they used it. But when you look at his, well, I mean, even the final when they were in the uh, Conference League, does that charge, scores a goal, wins them the cup. Do you know what I mean? Like he can be an advanced player. And if you have an advanced player with a defensive mind in terms of being so gifted defensively, you can stop it. So, yeah, I, I want to see him in the eight. What about you, Farron? 
Um, good question. Um, I wasn't expecting you to put him in the spot. So, hmm, the thing with Declan Rice is, well, there's a, there's a there's a few different scenarios which affect where Declan Rice is most effective. Number one, um, are we ever going to see a Thomas Partey that we that we saw last season back in an Arsenal shirt? I don't think so. Number two, can Arsenal replace Thomas Partey in the summer so that we have someone as efficient and as composed as him in midfield. If we can, I want to see Declan in that number eight role because the I believe, I'm a strong believer on in hard work and intensity, and that is what gives you dominance in a game of football, uh, in, a, in, a, in a football match. And if Arsenal can maintain that level of intensity, no team is going to be capable enough to play around that kind of press even a Man City will struggle um, because we're that effective, we're that regimented, we're that good at pressing, closing down space, putting teams under pressure. And we're talking about one of the, probably one of the, one of the, one of the best sides in the Premier League to be able to knock the ball around, build steady possession. Um, Newcastle under Eddie Howe have been so well drilled in maintaining a level of control. So if we're talking about, you know, Playing at that level, I want Declan in the number in the number eight. If we're talking about, and I know Adam favors probably, you know, I apologize if I'm speaking for you and I've completely got it wrong, but I get the impression that you know the fans on the other on the other end of the spectrum who favor Arsenal to be a little bit more controlled, to build up play, to just um, yeah. Play with a little bit more of a grounded approach. We'll want to see Declan in a defensive midfield role, in 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 a six role. Um, before we move on, Adam, why don't you give us your take on where you kind of see Declan, where where you think he performs best? Yeah, I definitely want him in a six. So I think he's classes in it, but I think I think Declan Rice can be the best six in the world. I think he can go to a level above what Rodri's at. And uh, I think what he offers you, the anticipation, the power, the strength, just how switched on he is, how much he's improving as a high-touch player compared to West Ham last season. He was coming out with like 55, 60 touches a game. He's now doubled that at Arsenal. He's involved way more. And um, I just think this the shielding that he gives you in that position I think is insane. So for me, he can be the best in the world, bar none in that position, and quite considerably better than everyone else. However, I think as an eight, in certain games, yes, what you're saying, I completely agree with. I think that intensity that he gives you, if you want to go out and really smother a team and lock them in and not let them play, he he again gives you something that other players can't and that power that nullifies them deep, deep in their own half or their own defensive third can kill teams. However, you can't play like that in every game. And um, the other thing that Declan Rice doesn't have, and I don't know if he'll ever have, is he's not a lock picker. He's a very, very good passer of the ball. He's very technically secure, strikes the ball well. But I would like someone that's just a bit more kind of creative in that position in the eight role. And I, I just don't think Declan Rice is that player over the course of a season. However, I think, say we went out and got a Zubamendi in the summer, for example, who we've been heavily linked with. I think 
with those two players together, you could have what you've got with Jorginho and Rice in that some games you play Rice as that more advanced player. Some games you play Zubamendi as your left aid. And again, it depends on the opposition. But similarly, I, I could see Arsenal going out and getting Amadou Nana in the summer. I think he's a player that Arteta really likes, absolutely loves Jules. And if you put him and Declan Rice in the same team, again, I could see almost like a double pivot with one of them always being... So not a double pivot in its traditional sense, but more of a one goes forward, one stays back, and the two of them alternate a bit. So for certain phases of the game, you maybe have Rice pressing a lot more. In other phases, you'll have an Onana doing that. So... Ultimately, I think it depends who we bring in, but I, I do think in terms of being the absolute best and where you'd want him when you're playing against City and Liverpool is in that sixth position. And it's why when we played Liverpool, Jorginho played as the eight, although I would put him, I, I would describe where he played more as a six and a half rather than an eight. And um, Rice was that anchor in the six, in front of Saliba and Gabriel. So for me, I, I think in big games, Rice is always going to be the man I want in that role. And I agree with you completely. I don't think we're going yeah. to see Thomas Partey back at the level he was at. And I just hope we do see him. Mm. We should probably caveat this conversation with, um, you know, it very much depending on who we play. It very much depending yeah. on the style of the opposition if we are playing a man city it will be it, it will be irresponsible to see declan rice play in an advanced position leaving Jorginho naked to deal with the likes of de bruyne rodri um foden so um yeah i i guess you know watch this space and see how um they develop Let's talk about the first opening goal. We got two goals in six minutes. Um, the first one coming from a corner. Classic Arsenal, it seems, at the moment. We are scoring set pieces for fun. Um, we scored a couple in this game and we just seem to be getting more and more efficient to the point now we, we we don't even need to rely on ourselves to score these set pieces we can get the opposition to have a hand in it as well um monty can you talk us through the first opening goal it seemed like it came mm -hmm. off gabrielle's head and then there was a bit of a kerfuffle um which ended up with the ball going over the line yeah so um i mean we've <laughs> What I noticed with our game plan, especially on the set pieces, they were a lot different to Porto, I think just execution-wise. Um, but you saw Newcastle, Newcastle had to adjust. They had a game plan and they had to adjust. Uh, what I initially saw was them going to a zonal marking, their, their big bodies um, at the front, but we were looking to exploit it. What, what I was seeing, especially from the first minute, because we had two off the bat, um, was those deep runs from behind, run to the front, get that first touch over the top uh, and get the second. Because what I find is when you get that first touch by the near post, you get three sort of outcomes or four. You get three, you get one, it goes across goal and you get a, you get a tap in. Two, it, it gets full of deflections and you get, well, the own goal. That, that's what you get. Three, you also just get it, um, it goes straight in. You can you can just dink it and it just goes whoop, straight past the keeper or you get the fourth, it gets cleared. But we clearly had a game plan to to attack that front, that front near post. And then some games we've had back posts. Sometimes it, it, what I'm liking is the fluidity and the, the flexibility of our set pieces. It's something that we, well, we're the best in the league at 
And there's a reason because we have a game plan for every game. It's not just, this is our staple freak. Um, this is our staple corner that we're going to take. And then when it just comes down to the goal itself, I mean, Gabriel's just wanted it more, um, simply wanted it more. And when you had, because Newcastle were in that zonal marking, because we've had that deep run, that's static. When you have a, a static defender against a moving attacker, the moving attacker is going to jump higher, is going to react quicker, and it's just going to get there better. So after that, we saw them when we had follow-up corners, they they changed to a sort of a dynamic de- de- sort of defending. They had their, their big guys in the zonal marking in front of the goal, uh, and then they had their sort of uh, their their wingers and their attackers per se on the man marking just to sort of slow them down. And it did work a little bit better for them. Um, obviously, there was a later goal that, well, I mean, it was just a class delivery. There's nothing much you could really do about it. Um, but in term, terms of goal itself, I mean, it was quite a clam- cl- calamitous uh, goal at first. I mean, I see, I see, Carrius. Uh, uh, he made a great. Yeah, to be honest, it was a good save. It was a, it was a, it was a good save initially. Um, then I think it was Botman, wasn't it? Botman comes in, he hits yeah. it like just woefully. Then it gets. Well, he miss hits it. Yeah. He doesn't yeah, even. He, missed, he doesn't even make contact yeah. with the ball. Miss hits it, and then it comes off like Livramento or back off the keeper, and then it goes back off Botman. Oh, it was just a bit of a faff, but do you know what? I call that justice um, because uh, when you go back to this, we we had some muggins in that game, so um, yeah, hold that respectively. Um, but now, apart from, apart from that, I think it was just it was a perfect execution uh, from our set pieces there. Like we clearly came for game plan, and we executed it, and you just you just have to give credit where it's due. Yeah, look, I know I often palm the responsibility off to you guys to describe and to analyse the goals, but the second goal, I'm going to have to take the reins and uh, give you um, my uh, five-star analysis on this goal before we move on and talk about Jorginho, um, which I think uh, Adam will be quite happy to um, take take the reins on that. So, um, look, this second goal is, is beautiful. and. You know, mainly because of the role that Jorginho plays in it, mainly because of the. I, I think I think when we're looking at um, what worked so well, this goal really does epitomise in every sort of position on the pitch why we were so effective. Starting with the position where William Saliba picks up the ball, he's so high up the pitch and it's so nice to see that they're playing, the two centre-backs are playing with so much confidence and they're able to do that because they have such a competent passer of the ball in Jorginho. Um, And Declan Rice is great, but he doesn't have that... Um, sixth sense in him. Or maybe he does, but he doesn't use it. Whereas Jorginho, on the other hand, as you guys have described him many a time before, a controller, he knows when he knows when to set the pace at what moment in the game, if that makes sense. So Saliba picks up the ball and he lays it off to Jorginho, who's asking for the ball. He takes the touch, takes the ball out of his feet. He he knows what he wants to do. And I mean, when he when he initially releases that ball, you're thinking, hold on a minute, where is he releasing that ball into? Because it's not really meant for anyone um, unless it's, you know, you're asking for Ben White to make that run. Ben White chooses not to. You then see Martinelli make that diagonal run. And I'm, I'm convinced that Jorginho noticed that. If I just pause it here, he can see Martinelli making that diagonal run. And so it's, 
I mean, and 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 I think it's 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 uh, it's justice to describe this almost as an Urzel esque kind of pass, where you know where the player is going to end up, and you know that you need to get the ball in that area for that player to pick it up. He does this brilliantly, perfectly weighted cross. It goes past everyone. The Newcastle defence are, you know, really just too slow to react. Martinelli does really well to pick up the ball. The touch gets away from him, but he recovers super well. And that because he makes that diagonal run, he's now opened up a space, a large pocket for anyone to run into. And Havertz is sharp. He's awake. He's aware. He knows he needs to kill himself to get into that space. Something that I've criticised in Ketia a number of times for not doing. Um, I don't mean to pick him out, but this is what it means when you need to kill yourself to get into those spaces. When Martinelli's just about to release the ball across the face of goal, he's still got, you know, seven, eight, nine yards to make up to really get into that position. And he does. He doesn't really need to sprint or use any exerted force. He just needs to have the know-how to get there and again having that sixth sense of knowing where the ball's going to end up and just this the symmetry symmetry the synergy between the players in that particular goal was just you know really really nice to see slots home arsenal 2-0 up cruising and at that point you're thinking um you know we are the floodgates have opened we're going to score five or six here um Adam, just very quickly, if you have anything to add on that goal um, and then Jorginho and why he's so influential and important and why I would argue is now necessary to be playing week in, week out. Big, big change from you after uh, some of your <laughs> earlier statements about Jorginho, which we will come to. Uh, no, I think uh, you summed it up well. It, it's a beautiful ball into Martinelli. Martinelli does really, really well. Um, it, it kind of reminded me of, do you remember Sanchez's little like back heel against United when Ozil got to the byline? Um, mm. Very similar way in that Martinelli kind of had to readjust his body whilst facing the opposite direction. Does really well and Kai comes running in, puts it in the net effortlessly. But I, I did the 15-minute show video about Havertz and I mapped out loads of the runs he was making. And he's been making this run time and time again. Against Burnley last week, Saka had a chance and Havertz is attacking the six-yard box and it's cut out. But if Saka made that pass, it was a tap-in for Havertz. He is making this run time and time again and that is going to lead to more goals. And one of the criticisms I've had of Jesus is that he doesn't get into the box enough. So we, we know he's an erratic finisher, but he, he actually doesn't hit that many shots and isn't kind of in that focused area enough. So I think just having a player in the box gives you something different. And I was really impressed with that yesterday and just the whole build up to the goal itself. But but yeah, with Jorginho, um, I think it was after the, the Spurs game, you said that Jorginho should be nowhere near the Arsenal team. It was an embarrassment to have a geriatric in the team. Oh, um, no. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it, it was refreshing Listen, I, to get those in other words. I think in other words, we were we were all kind of in that camp, weren't we? After that disappointing kind of cameo. I, I think I talked you down. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, look, I think that one of the big things that day was Rice went off injured. Um, it completely, Jorginho was thrown in. Um, 
and without Rice in the team. What, what I really like about Jorginho, and I've said this before, is that I know his weaknesses. So if you know a player's weaknesses and you've got a very defined weakness, you can protect that. You can put options around that player to work around it. So with Jorginho, his only actual weakness is his his lack of legs. Um, on the ball, He's, it's like geometry. He's always finding the angle to receive, and that's why he's always able to give it with maximum one touch, but generally gives it first time. He just mm-hmm. kind of moves around, and Xavi was really good at this back in the day. They're just constantly scanning. They move four or five yards. Um, Jorginho is also a very, very good tackler. He's very good in duels. The issue is if Jorginho's running more than five, 10 yards, you're going to beat him every time. But in pure anticipation, he wins a lot of those duels because he thinks faster than others. But if you've got Odegaard and Rice beside him, you've got two really powerful runners that just keep going throughout the game. Add in a player like Havertz, more advanced. And again, you've got Ben White, who looks back to his old athletic self. You can protect all those weaknesses that Jorginho has. So you can really get the best out of him. The the issue is if a player has multiple weaknesses and teams, you've almost got hidden weaknesses that teams can exploit. With Jorginho, you you know that it's the legs that's the issue. But we did a really good job at protecting him yesterday. And the the movement, it was just genius what he does. It's like he's just always there to receive. He just looks so calm when he gets it. He can have multiple players around him and he gets it. And he doesn't even look at where he's passing. He's pointing in the opposite direction to tell someone where they should be going. And for me, Jorginho is going to be a great coach at some point, um, whether he's a manager or a, a, a coach as part of the backroom staff. But I could see him being someone that kind of follows Arteta's route. And watching his post-match interview yesterday, I kind of see, kind of, he reminds me of Arteta as a player a bit in terms of his behaviours. Like, He's come to Arsenal late in his career. He seems to really get Arsenal as well. He seems really glad to be part of the club. He's mm. he's someone that's really embraced everything about being here. And for me, it's a no-brainer to extend his deal. But yesterday, it was just that constant availability to receive, lack of pressure whenever he did have it. And he was inventive when he was on the ball. He wasn't just going for the easy pass every time, like the ball through to Martinelli. He he spots that quite early on because Martinelli's kind of, he plays a lofted, lobbed through ball and it goes fairly straight with a bit of whip on it. Martinelli's 20 yards the other way when he sets off. He sees that straight away and gives it quickly. So they're the things in Jorginho's game that people don't appreciate. And he can play those line-breaking passes that I don't think Declan Rice can actually play consistently. But, but yeah, just a superb performance. And I'm really glad to have him in our squad. But what a piece of business that was when you see how Caicedo was fared at Chelsea. Yeah, and do you know what? To be fair to Arteta and the coaching staff, he wasn't the same player that he is at Arsenal when he was at Chelsea. I think he was a lot more one-dimensional. I think he was overall a very good midfielder. But at Arsenal, we are seeing a lot more layers to him. There are a lot more different elements coming into his game, like the ability to just um, make quick decisions. I've never associated Jorginho as someone who is just really quick at making a decision and being able to get the ball out of his feet um, almost instantaneously. There was a number of times where he just... He receives the ball and he just makes it first time, the pass. 
I, I would say the last 18 months at Chelsea, um, I, I watched a lot of Jorginho just as I did with Havertz. And the, the most obvious thing I noticed with Jorginho was Chelsea played with huge distances in and out of possession. So when Jorginho got the ball, there would be 15 yards between him and his two midfielders and the same with the defenders behind him. And he can make those passes all day long. The issue is those distances, everyone thinks about them in possession. When you're out of possession, uh, you obviously then, if you lose it, you, you've got big spaces to cover. But in terms of, again, thinking quickly, I, I that's always been Jorginho's biggest strength at Napoli. He was the like original like register mm-hmm. in that midfield position. He When he came to Chelsea, he was a revelation. And then... He won the Champions League, won the Euros by doing all these things. So I I don't really think that he's become any better at Arsenal. I think Arsenal have rediscovered the player Chelsea lost towards the end. Mm, okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I mean, no, you are right. <laughs> and I, I, you you know right. I think it's probably similar yeah. with Havertz. I don't think Havertz has become a better player than he once was yet. I think we've got the player that existed a couple of years ago he's getting back to that level of confidence and he's going to really kick on now that he's got there but I'm not sure that he has a a big part of with those two players was just getting them back to the players that they were Chelsea had destroyed yeah, yeah, because I, I, I almost always associate ex-Chelsea players with immediate kind of... Um, it's because Petr Cech was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, you, you forget how many players Chelsea have... And Galas. ...ruined. Um, yeah, the less said about him, the better, really. So, look, you know, Did approaching the end of the... You did have Thomas from Allen playing beside him for a couple of years, and that can't be easy on anyone. What an absolute um so look we 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 were two nil up we're cruising and um we we i guess the end of that first half um we see an uh, you know a barrage of opportunities one after another and it comes from a lot of high pressing um quite frankly you know you could call it high risk football with Odegaard pressing uh, leading the press um but i guess when you sniff the opportunity when you can tell that the the opposition are under pressure. They're feeling nervous. You have to go and you have to be at their heels. Um, I, I was really impressed with how calm and how composed we were at the back as well. When Newcastle tried to, you know, close us down in our box, David Rea is someone who we've been critical of because of what happened with um, Ramsdale. But Monty, I feel like he's really coming into his own. He's really making this position his own. And I feel like he is starting to really bed in to um, the Arsenal squad. Um, just a quick word on him and, you know, in moments, because when you're 2-0 up, it is often described as the most dangerous scoreline. You give the opposition a sniff and they're back into the game. There are a number of moments in that first half where it where Raya needed to be calm and composed, where Raya needed to make the right um, option, get it out of his feet as quickly as possible. We've seen previously Ramsdale, you know, being at the end of some really, you know, um, not so good moments. So yeah, yeah. David Raya, no, how, how's he, has he, has he, has he, has he finally won you over? Um, yes. I still think we can do better. Just uh, full stop. Um, 
But I think no, Reyes definitely compared to Ramsdale, Ramsdale was a bit more erratic. Um, Reyes a bit more structured. Um, but I think there's there's multiple things to to speak about, sort of, especially from the sort of the two 0 perspective. But with um with Raya, and I've noticed it more in the second half because we, he he wasn't really tested, let's be honest, in the first half at all. Um, so in, in the sort of second half, I remember there was this uh, this a phase of play that ended up with a Kai Havertz miss. We had like 16 passes from a throw on, uh, from a throw in, sorry. And then uh, it got passed back to Ray and Ray just instantly knocked it straight up to Saka, saw him there. Uh, then later on in the game, there was one way he's just banked it at the referee and he spotted Trossard open. Um, that was, was a joke, by the way. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that was, that would have been so funny. That was, I was, I was actually laughing. I was literally like, no way did that actually just happen. Paul Tini. Um, yeah, no, literally, it was quite funny. But now, Raya is definitely more, he, he's by the book. He's very by the book. Um, and even when he got the ball, he was always like, getting the ball. And I mean, Ramsdale does it similarly, but Ramsdale will, will trigger, will trigger a pass when he shouldn't if that makes sense. He'll kind of, he'll try to force a long mm. spray ball into it. Whereas Ray will go, no, I'm not going to do it this time. Uh, he's a bit more cautious and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, you know, it's, they're both just very different players. They're both very different players. But I do think Ray at the moment is a better player for us at, at this moment in time because the way that our defence is and the way that our press is, we're, we're receiving a lot more crosses into the box because it's very difficult for a team to break us down and get into the centre of it. And I just feel a lot more calmer. And I said this at the start of the season, I think Raya is just better at collecting the ball. Um, he won't punch it, he'll try and grab it. Whereas Ramsdale, I think, does sort of an acrobatic punch and then it can kind of screw him over. But I think there's other things that we, we should speak, especially that because I know you said um, in the sort of towards the last that there were it was a bit back and forth, and I mean again you had uh, Newcastle trying to go back to their dark arts again. I think it was Bruno Gamirish goes down and throws his boot off as if to say, uh, but then when the when, he, when the ref is like bring the physio and he's like no 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 because I'm good man. <laughs> he's like no I'm good I'm good I'm good I'm good I'm good I'm good but there's 40 <laughs> seconds gone. Um, so yeah they came back to that Trippier did it I think in like the 15th 16th minute went down and said oh my knee my knee and then gets back up like he's all roses again um, and then as well I think it was um, around the 38th minute and it all actually kind of started from rare at the start just being quite direct um, but it was it was that that opportunity where Saka had it and it goes well I mean it's a great save let's be, let's be real the keeper did make an excellent save um, sort of to his left but it was that Martinelli run um, and it, he just gets it on the turn he runs makes an instinctive run into the inside on the outside of the box around the 38 mark overhits across unfortunately I think it was Erdegaard it was a meant for overhits it Saka gets it but the way I mean Saka's in form right now Saka is in form right now the way he gets his ball it's a bit of a, a mishatch and he, he looks to go inside and then he can't go inside because there's like two players closed out and then he just calmly just steps outside and he does two players while he does it does two players gets a for shot get saved um, and then and then from that moment again we were just on the ascendancy because it, it felt like towards that and then you were saying 2-0 was a dangerous scoreline it felt like Newcastle was starting maybe to get something going they wanted to slow the game down with their little dark hearts and they tried to get into the into the game and then we'll do a moment like that and it's like no you're pinned back and we, we discussed this I think um, after the FA Cup game with Liverpool when we lost and we said what's the one thing that we aren't that Lucas were and the one word that popped up was ruthless um, and that's something we 
I don't know what they gave them in that winter break, um, what Salt Bay was giving them all the special seasoning. I don't know. But whatever it is, they're ruthless. We are ruthless now. I, I, I mean, how many times have we gone two nil up, one nil up, even one nil up, and we're just happy with it? We'll sit there and go, you know, especially mm. in an Arteta team. I've seen it multiple times. We'll go one nil up and just sit there. But it, it's different now. It's different. It, there's a ruthlessness for us. We want to continue pressing. And again, it comes from rare at the start. Like he's looking. The second he gets that ball and a claim, he's looking for Martinelli. Mm. He's looking for Saka. Jorginho gets the ball. He receives it. He takes one to two touch max. And he's trying to push it straight up. He only goes sideways if he has to. He, do, he doesn't look for the sideways pass. I feel like some players, you know, like Mohamed El Nenis, we love Mohamed El Nenis, he's got a great chant and we love it, but he will pass sideways just because, you know, it, 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 he's like, right, you do it. I, I don't want to do it, but Jorginho's like, right, no, I can, I can pin it. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Reyes like, right, I can make that throw. Like, remember the Gabriel Jesus goal? Throws mm. it, straight, pins it. And that's what we are now. We're ruthless and we're not, we're not giving up, which is what I like to see. And going into the half, I think it was just, um, it was an excellent way to be in position to be in. And I was hearing loads of talks that about 80% of the people in the grounds were pretty much drunk because, uh, yeah, it was, it was a raucous, <laughs> yeah, raucous, uh, a raucous uh, atmosphere. Yeah, but right before halftime as well, Rea had a, actually a big part to play in the last couple of minutes because the Almiron got in. It was offside eventually, but Rea makes himself big, mm-hmm. doesn't commit, and just kind of, Arteta talked about Rea doing things and stopping things before they happened. This felt like one of them. Then there was two other moments, and um, one of them really pissed me off, actually. So what Rea comes out, players really well, hoofs it out into touch. Newcastle get a throw. However, it was offside. Should have been a free kick to Arsenal. In the first earlier in that half, the same thing happened. Botman cleared it, but Saka was offside. Saka was still a good bit away from Botman. Newcastle got a free kick. Um, but actually, they give Newcastle the throw-in, played on. But again, it was Rea straight out on the ball, alive to the danger. A um, couple of minutes later, he hit another one right down in the left-hand corner, straight out, killed it before Newcastle got near it. Didn't think twice about it, literally just hoofed it out of play. Um, similarly, in the second half, um, there was the one Isaac got in, and um, commentators were all like, oh, Isaac will have been disappointed not to get a shot away. That was Rea. Rea stopped him getting that shot in. He comes out so fast. And this is something that I, I've been unsure about with the speed at which he leaves his box at times or leaves his area is coming out to really kill an attack. And I felt that with um, Isaac before he got it under control. Rea made him take that touch away from goal. Yeah. And then that prevented him really setting himself to get away comfortably. And the way that's he stood up on thing. it as well. It's the way yeah. he stood up because I think with Ramsdale in that situation, he would have dived. He dived, dived in. to the floor and it would have probably been dinked over. But with Rea, it was like, you're not beat going me. around with me. Yeah, I've got like my 10-foot hands. <laughs> Come and beat you're me. Not, so you're not getting past me. But yeah, they're the things that I think he's improving on, and I think we are starting to see really why he was bought. But but yeah, the first half overall, it, we were just sensational, absolutely yeah. sensational. Yeah, just just quickly, Adam, to summarize the first half, despite being two 0 and despite being really ruthless, there were a number of opportunities we had in the final 10-15 minutes that you're thinking if we had taken those opportunities, we build obviously on that score line. Um, do we need to look into it as much? I don't think so, but um, yeah, just a quick one on those kind of few opportunities that we had. Yeah, I think um, 
we, we had a few opportunities. Um, I, I think it's probably a good way to segue into the soccer section of the podcast, which we don't often do because we just expect mm. this level. But I can't talk about these things without talking about soccer, so we may as well take this into the beginning of the second half as well. But um, yeah. obviously Saka had that brilliant bit of play down the right with Odegaard, um, plays a lovely ball in. And Saka plays this ball in between four defenders, which people, we just get used to this. This isn't normal, these passes that he just plays under so much pressure. Into Odegaard, Odegaard back heals it, Saka drives into the box, right foot cross, Martinelli puts it over. It's probably just an inch too high for Martinelli to keep down. But again, it was Martinelli's run from distance that, a bit like the ball through to Jorginho, we really saw him trying to move around the box. And But the, the play between Saka and Odegaard was beautiful. And then there was the other one that led Declan Rice in. Again, it was Saka, possibly in the, it starts with Saka, into Havertz, into Rice very quickly. And Rice had a shot. I thought he could have done a lot better. It was It's either go high or go low. And I, he kind of went in between and he, it just felt like you, you need a bit more conviction there. And Saka was just really purring in that first half. I, I genuinely think that we are seeing a level from Saka right now that we've never seen from him in an Arsenal shirt. I think we've seen him be really good. We've seen him be influential, but I don't think we've ever seen this level of consistency. And it, it's not just the goals. The goals are obviously incredible, the run he's on. But what he's doing with the ball and the way he's driving, like the to just go into the second half part, because obviously they're the two chances, big ones that I felt we missed in the first half. But right after half time, the the Havertz chance, that mm-hmm. it all comes from Saka. And yeah. I think Rea is it Rea plays the ball out to Rea Saka. Plays yeah. It too. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant ping. And uh, Saka's first touch is absolutely impeccable. He's got a man on him. He just shrugs him off like he's not there. Like This is the thing that with Saka that he doesn't get the credit for. He is so, so strong. And he just drives into the middle of the park and gets past the halfway line, by past the, uh, the, set, the circle, pops it off perfectly to Martinelli, who's able to play it quickly into Havertz, and Havertz has to score that chance. He should have taken it around the keeper. He should have dinked it around the keeper. To be honest, he went for the hardest possible option, and he missed. And it, it's, it's one that there's two sides to it. One, I'm glad he was in the position, and I think he will score if he keeps getting in those positions. Should have scored, but... Just on the point with Saka, I think it, it, he is just play, doing things that we don't see other players do. We think of these things as being normal, and it just feels like right now he was doing a lot of these things earlier in the season and the goals weren't quite coming. Then um, he started getting a lot of assists. That, and, but it feels like now everything is just coming together for him. And a large part of that is he looks really, really fit and healthy at the minute. So... But one of the things I've noticed is he's been hooked around 70 minutes in the last three games. So I think it was 66 at West Ham, 69 at Burnley and 75 yesterday. That comes close to 90 minutes, given that we normally see five to 10 minutes out of time now. That's a big difference compared to last year. It's no wonder he's looking fresher. Last year, we had the Villa game at this point. We had um, the defeat to Everton, a defeat to City. And the uh, Bournemouth game, where we were pushed right until the like kind of 96th minute, and Saka was 
we, we've been winning games early. And I think that's why we're seeing the likes of Saka being so good. But he right now is someone that he's playing to his own rhythm. He's doing things that I, I don't see anyone else doing them. I think the only player in his position better than him is Salah. And Salah is pure for purely efficiency and an output monster. And Saka's becoming that player. So to I, I have never seen a 22-year-old winger doing what Saka's doing in terms of output and always making the right decision. It's funny you say that, actually, you know. Uh, I actually had a conversation with a Liverpool fan and um, he, he was trying to like draw me in like, oh, who do you think's better, Saka or, or, or Salah? And obviously I was like, well, Salah, because he, well, he's just phenomenal and he is just an output machine. But I said, and as a caveat, I said, but Salah at 22 compared to Saka at 22, Saka's way better. 100%. Way better. Saka's, Saka has a much higher ceiling, I think. And it's crazy to think he is still that young. He's still that young. Like if he stays at Arsenal, stays in the Premier League, he could be up there with like record breaking in terms of like, do you know what I mean? He can be breaking a lot of records when it comes to assists. He could be up there for goals. He could do, if he, if he stays. Saka's a top class player. And just to, as well, I know you was talking about the, the Havertz chance. I want to give credit to Jorginho in that because before, I think it was about four passes before the, the Raya pass, Kivior makes a quite a quite a well, it's quite fizzed in, but it's a bit of a poor poor pass to to Jorginho. It's a bit too high, so it goes off him. But because Jorginho's just so aware where it goes, he he's able to close down that space quickly, get it back to Kivior, which then goes back to Raya, and then Raya then starts it off. But Jorginho just on it, he just knows where everyone is. It's crazy, like you said, looks off the ball, just knows where everyone are, and it's just that's how I think we beat Newcastle's press because uh, that start of that second half, they tried to press us. Eddie Howe definitely grilled them. They tried to press us and. It was actually a good press on paper. It was a very good press. But the awareness from all our players and just, I think, the togetherness to to you know have the faith that your guy is going to be next to you, even though you haven't seen him, you know, that that was how we beat him. That was just simply how we beat their press today because they just couldn't, they couldn't get near us. Yeah, I mean, they certainly looked a lot more controlled in the second half. I don't know whether that, that was down to us securing the win with that third goal that we're going to talk about now. But yes. Newcastle, to be fair to them, um, it seemed like they wanted to have a real go in the second half. There were two early chances of Isak going through, um, Raya handles it, and then um, uh, Jordan sprinting into space. Who the hell's Jordan? Why am Gordon. I writing down Jordan? Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Gordon. <laughs> Bloody hell. Right. Anthony Gordon is sprinting into space out on the left-hand side, uh, but the end product being poor. Um, he was actually allowed on that left-hand side. I mean, we, we, the, if there's one bit of criticism that I can give anyway, I don't know if you guys are going to agree, is the amount of space that we leave open down that left-hand side. And it's difficult to, um, you know, subsidized for it when you have Ben White having that advanced role when so much like fluidity and football and creativeness is going down that left-hand side. Um, you know, I, I guess on another day we look back and, 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 and we address it, but, um, we, we weren't punished for it this time round. Um, just uh, you know, on on Bakayo Saka, uh, Monty, the the third goal does come from him, and it comes from a, a a piece of brilliant interception from Havertz. And this is one of those types of interceptions where you really have to be on your toes, where you really have to be clued on and switched on. He 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 makes it look really easy, but actually, it's quite a difficult interception to make. The ball is coming in; it's it's it's, it's coming in with a bit of pace. Um, 
and he has to stretch his leg in order to get it. So he times it really, really well. And, you know, he he has the intelligence to leave it for Odegaard. Odegaard um, picks up the ball, plays it really intelligently into Declan Rice, who once again is in that advanced space, lays it off to um, Havertz. At this, uh, whilst I was watching this in real time, I was thinking, why don't you just try and play that off to Declan Rice? He's in open, he's in acres of mm. space, um, you know, playing through on goal doesn't decides to lay it off to Bakayo Saka who has so much to do in this position. I was watching this with my dad and I was just really impressed with the quality of this goal because when a player is able to score this type of goal where it's just, he drags his foot, he doesn't hit it with any venom. He doesn't hit it with any finesse. He just drags his foot. But the, 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 the way that the ball makes its way into the back of the net, it's as if he's hit it with, venom and he's hit it with finesse that yeah. that that goal that goal itself is a is, is a bit of it symbolizes and it summarizes the level that he's at where he doesn't need to get a clean shot yeah. he doesn't need to get a clean strike on it but still the ball looks like it's been hit with you know a really clean nah, strike that, he, he actually the hits it cleaner hard. than you think it was it's, an on yes uh, goal yeah, goal. the way he, way he hits it, it makes it look hard. But I want to go back to before you. I know you mentioned Kaya versus interception, but we need to go back just a little bit before that because you're going to forget Martin Erdegaard's press to cause that interception. Mm. Um, like mm. I was saying, Erdegaard and, and Ben White with him. Ben yeah, White exactly. and Odegaard, the two of them kind of because White inverts, and this is where you get that. Like mm. the benefit of the inverted fullback is that transition killer in the middle, and yeah. him and Odegaard just double yeah. teamed up. As I said earlier, Martin Erdegaard, like, Georgina was the conductor, right? But Martin Erdegaard was the aggregator. He was the guy that was like, right, we're pressing. Like, we're disrupting your game now. That's it. We're taking it. And once we got the ball, it was like, right, give it to Georgino because this is the guy who's actually going to like tell us what we're going to do. Uh, but the one to get it off, once we were in defence, it was Erdegaard running the show. Um, and then that press to get him. And then Kai, I mean, I have to give credit, the position, like you said, was perfect. It was, it was perfect. And, and the, the, the know-how to just leave it for uh, for Erdegaard to come in and Saka getting the ball. Like you said, I thought he was going to lay it onto Rice. I was like, Rice is there, Rice is there, Rice is there, Rice is there, like screaming at the TV. And then he didn't do it. Um, but then like, he has that calmness. He looks up. There's so many bodies in the box. I think he goes there, There's about eight bodies. Players. There's eight Newcastle players plus Karius in the box. And, and it's mental. And then the, the way he he just can't, he's like, he sees, he sees all those players and he goes, yeah, I'm gonna go for a shot. I'm having um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. Why not? And it was a very Henri S. I saw it, and I just thought of an Henri S. goal. You know, across the key part, low, driven, and Carriers actually. Had, there's nothing Carriers could have done because he couldn't see it. He literally, because it was low. If it was higher, then he would have more chance to get it. But that's that's what I said. It's an Henri S. goal. Henri would do those low shots because you can't you can't see them as a goalie. It's impossible. By the time you see it, it's literally by your side and it's gone in. So the finish from Saka and the confidence that we're seeing, I feel like maybe, last, well, not necessarily last season, but we've seen him the season before, he wouldn't have taken that shot. But now he's got that, he's got that swagger about him, you know? He knows he and can do it. He knows he can do it. And he's, he's humble in the way that he perceives himself but he knows he's a good player he he's knows a he's a good player yeah he knows it and that's what we're liking now because I feel like times he would have he would have maybe last season passed it to Declan Rice you know he might have, he might have made that pass but now got a killer yeah and yeah, um, with um, with the shot itself Kyle also does really well because that ball's coming across 
and he pulls away from the ball to let it go in. And I think that partly throws the defenders that are in the area. So it's just multiple pieces of clever play. And I feel that the that kind of telepathy within the players is now there that maybe wasn't there earlier in the season. And that's why we look so fluid. Yeah. And and someone we've been quite critical of lately. Well, <laughs> I certainly have anyway. And question marks about whether he has a long-term um, future at Arsenal is Jakub Kivior, who I felt even him today looked really confident, sharp, and just played with a bit of swagger. Um, he gets a goal and again, comes from another set piece. It's a lovely corner in this time from Declan Rice. And, you know, bodies are there. So many bodies are there in that um, is it six yard area. And Kivior rises to the occasion, gets ahead to it, goes into the back of the net. And that's you know, game set match really. Um, yeah. Arsenal do make a few substitutions. Odegaard, Saka, Havertz coming off when Ketia, Nelson, and Smith Rowe. So maybe we can have a quick chat about some of our favourites and some of our not so favourites. <laughs> let's start. Off, let's start off right. Let's start off with Eddie and Ketia. Now, um, Adam has a has a bit of a gripe with Eddie. And he needs to get it off his chest once again. Monty, I am going to guess, is going to have something to say about that. But let's mm-hmm. let Adam um, have his say on Inketia. He comes on and the dynamics of the game do change. Why is that? Yeah, I think it's just Inketia doesn't work hard enough. He wins duels when he's close to them. It's the intensity of the pressure and the... It's it's being proactive. I, I think if the ball's close to him, he closes it down. If he gets there, but th- there isn't that continuous press, and I think that's something that he lacks. It's I, I don't feel a hunger with him. Even Nelson, who I don't think is good enough to play for Arsenal. I, the thing with Nketiah is I do think he is actually good enough. He just I feel like we've lost him a bit as a player. I think he knows he's probably fourth choice in the striking position now. And I think his head's dropped a bit. I don't think he's... He doesn't look like a player that's overly happy or confident right now. And for me, it's just the drop-off in in intensity. Uh, Whereas I look at Nelson and he comes on, he puts in a shift. Uh, Yesterday for me, if I was in Kedia coming on at 4-0, I'd be thinking, I'm going to make this five. I want to play more football. I want a goal. Same against Burnley, same against West Ham. I'd have been coming on looking for that goal. And because that goal, look what it did for Kai Havertz against Burnley. He looked like a different player. Goals do massively increase your confidence. And it doesn't matter if they come when you're 5-0 up. Just hitting the back of the net, there's no better feeling in football. So I, I just think I want to see a bit more from him. And it just frustrates me every time he's on the pitch. And I feel like I've always defended in Keria and always had this, like, he's going to come good, this hope. And I I just think right now he's a player that should be coming on when we're 4-0 up in games and giving someone a breather because he's not a bad player. I, it's just the – he just frustrates me because of the lack of real – that injection of enthusiasm is not there. <laughs> Yeah, Monty, he does have. A, 
Yeah, just very quickly, yeah, I think he does make a point about the energy and about the coming on with the kind of attitude needed. If you know that you are third uh, or fourth in line to play as a centre forward for Arsenal, surely there needs to be a little bit more oomph. There needs to be a little bit more explosiveness, similar to the one that we saw in the first half. I'm guessing you're going to say that that's just not his style. That's just not the way that he plays. But from an attitude point of view, that does need to be a little bit better, no? No, not even. I just think there's context to it. Um, in, in terms of we had, like, and, and like uh, Adam said earlier about playing to people's strengths, Jorginho's strength is not legs, right? So why surround him with Elmer Smith Rowe who doesn't do off-the-ball movements, which led to Newcastle scoring? You take off our, one of our most dynamic and, like I said, aggregators throughout the whole game in, in Erdegaard and place with Elmer Smith Rowe, and then you bring Nelson on who replaced Saka, who was electric all game, and then we're complaining about offensive output. I mean, Nketiah has statistically put in several pressures, several pressures. He won all of his ground jewels and he won all of his aerial jewels in 40 minutes. His three aerial jewels, two ground jewels, won them all. He got dis- dispossessed twice from bad balls. So I don't think he did He did bad, you know? it's it, He only had 14 minutes and you're 4-0 up. Yes, you want to be on there. But if you put Eddie and Nketiah in there, left Erdegaard on, you might have got a different result. Or left Kai Havertz in there. Because what I want to see, and this is the first thing I saw when Eddie came on, literally the first thing he did, he got this long ball, a beautiful ball come in, he chests it down, puts it straight on the plate for Emil Smith-Rowe, and Emil Smith-Rowe absolutely just screws it. If that's Kai Havertz or the other way around, I think you get a goal out of that or you get a very good chance one. And I've said this multiple times. I think if you if you get Eddie, Eddie and and uh, so if you get Eddie and Kai together, I think that's when you'll get a really good dynamic duo because Eddie will shoot. Eddie can he can win his duels. He's a very strong player. Like he's not skinny. He's a very strong player. Um, should he have done better? Maybe, maybe. But I think with the context of everything around and the players he's come on, it's it's, it's harsh for him because like with Emil Smith Rowe, love him on the ball. Love Emil Smith-Rowe on the ball. I think he's a great player on the ball and he's he's done it. But if you're going to have Emil Smith-Rowe on the ball, you can't have Jorginho in behind him. You have to have a Thomas Partey. You have to have a Declan Rice who can sweep up mm. from his mistakes because he will keep going forward. Like There's no denying Emil Smith-Rowe will keep going forward, but he will get dispossessed. And the, you, leave, you go to the goal that they scored, it all came from uh, Reese Nelson and Emerson Smith-Rowe. Now, none of them are bad players. Nelson and Niketia, they're not bad players, but they they are clearly players who have not had minutes because they were a little bit rusty. They're trying to do things that they've done in the training ground. But when you you play minutes, you're just confident they just happen because there's pressure involved. You're just used to it. It was a bit of a miscommunication, bad ball. And then I'm not sure who drove it from... uh, from Newcastle, but he get the ball and he just runs straight past Emil Smith and Emil Smith just got his hands up looking at Nelson. Now I know for a fact if Erdegaard was on that, he will use every single bit of his energy and life and soul to chase that down and at least just put pressure on the player like he did earlier in the game when they had an opportunity on the left and Erdegaard closed that space to stop the cross going into the box, which was quite exposed. Emil Smith was just sitting there and he was nowhere. If you look at that goal, Emil Smith is nowhere to be seen on the screen Track, tracking back. He, he, he lets Willock run straight yeah. past and him. He, and yeah, and he's he thinking about his Nandos. Exactly. And he runs straight <laughs> so, past Jorginho. And so it's not Jorginho's fault because we, like, like Adam said, Jorginho doesn't have the legs. We know this, but he has so much more. And yeah. why, what, what made, what baffled me is when Elmer Smith came off, 
why, like, it, it, I, I was baffled. You can't have Emma Smith-Rowe and Jorginho on the same team in the midfield anyway. He should have brought an Emma Smith-Rowe on, put Declan Rice at the back and then kept Erdegaard on. Then you would have got a better, I think you would have either had one more, we would have had one more goal. I, I, I genuinely think we would have scored another goal with because Nelson doesn't lack confidence. Ninketia doesn't lack confidence. Emma Smith-Rowe doesn't lack confidence. They lack game time. They're not, they're not clinical. They're not sharp. You know, they're, they're a bit a bit rough. They need to be, get some time in. So I think going into the next few games, I think we need to get get Smith-Rowe on, get Nelson on. Like we've seen Saka, he needs to be rested, keep him rested and he keeps sharp. Then we need to get Emil Smith-Rowe on for a couple of minutes, but don't have him in the same team as Jorginho. That just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Um, and then with Dinkea, get him on, but get him. don't give him 10 minutes. Don't give him 40 minutes. Give him like, uh, you know, 20 minutes, you know? Give nah, him, don't give do him that. Not unless we're 6-0 up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, if you're chasing a goal, if you're chasing a goal, not necessarily do it, but I think if you're chasing a goal, what I want to see more than anything, what I want to see more than anything, if we are chasing a goal and it's like nil-nil whatever, I do want to see, say if we played in that formation we did today, take Jorginho off, put Nketiah in next to next to Havertz so you have effectively like a three two four and then you have the sort of the, the two wingers and then you can have the false signs because I think if you get Havertz on the, as the target man and use him to play in Nketiah you will get a much much better result I'd rather put Big Gabby up front at the minute <laughs> uh, but no I'd rather the there is two sides to him I, I feel like when he's when he gets the ball and we're attacking, brilliant, really sharp mind, razor quick feet, and he he got in. He had that chance. Stanburn cleared off the line. Um, he has got and he, he, he. I think he should have scored. I think he should have done better. But he has beaten Carius, so I think Burn gets pretty lucky as well in the in the way he covers it. But he had, I think, three shooting opportunities. Smith Rowe. So he has got that, and he had that brilliant run down the left hand side where he's got the ability to like take three steps, check, make it look like he's going to pull it back and go again. And he kept doing that the whole way down the line, completely through the defender. Ended up putting him on his arse, got into the box and pulled it back to Trossard. But that that was like a 40-yard carry. He does it effortlessly. The issue for me with Smith-Rowe is the ability to think and concentrate off the ball. If he can iron that part of his game out, he's going to be a tremendous player. The issue is that right now, it's very difficult to trust Smith-Rowe in a game where we're not going to be guaranteed to face a low block because if we are going to have transitions like we did yesterday we we can't trust Smith Rowe to do the job off the ball that we can with a Havertz or a Rice or or just other players in that role however if he can sort that out there is a hell of a player in there he, he's got all the talent to, to be a superstar well look I did say I was going to go to war for Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, I mean, you can't, but it you seems can't like, argue with us saying he's very talented. He just needs to stop thinking about Nando's off the ball. It just it just seems like we've run out of time, unfortunately. So if you do want to we see do. me go go to war with uh, for Emil Smith-Rowe, tune into the next episode because I, th- I think you guys really have... Um, well, I, you, you are being fair when you're with those comments because but you don't want to hear <laughs> <laughs> no
No, do you know what? I partly I don't want to hear it because for all the defensive uh, mishaps that he's got or the, the lack of his defensive abilities, he makes up for it for what he brings in the final third. I don't think there is a, a, a player like him at Arsenal who can do the things that he can do. He just instantly, there's a spark which is ignited on the edge of the box. And unless you're Bukayo Saka, unless you're Martinelli on rare occasions, it's really difficult to get someone off the bench and to just bring that fresh, that freshness, that energy, that raw excitement that we all want to see players uh, bring with them when they come off the bench. And one of the biggest gripes that I have with someone like Eddie Nketiah when you come off the bench is just bring energy bring mm. explosiveness he had nine touches in 15 minutes which i don't think is good enough and that's the passes not, that's that not he, too bad for 15 minutes for a for striker stri- well, forward I, isaac yeah. had about 15 the whole game yeah that's 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 not too bad for a striker when i think trossard only had 20 touches in porto so but it, i want him to be more involved can we agree one thing on emerson Rowe? shall we, he should not be in the same midfield as Jorginho. Yes. He's a great player yeah. offensively, but he yeah. needs someone behind him. Yeah, I Fine. agree with yeah. that. But I, I think the, the point I'll leave it with is when it comes to playing football, there's two sides to it. There's on and off the ball. A few years ago, I would have overlooked all Emil Smith-Rowe's deficiencies off the ball. But Arteta taught me that I am angry when I lose a duel. And <laughs> if the Saka, our superstar, can win duels time after time after time, Martin Odegaard, our most creative player, our club captain, can run his socks off right until the end of the game. Smith Rowe can track a runner. So I think that's being completely fair to him. Touche. You make a very good point there. You have um, converted my opinions. Thank you, Adam, once again (laughs) for stealing the show. Um, Okay, good stuff. I think it's a good time to end the show. So, um, yeah, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can find Adam over there at AdamKeys underscore Monty at ATP Monty. And you can find myself over there at Gunner since night six. As always, we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy. But if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal therapy YouTube channel for the 15 minute show and the 15 minute show. By the sounds of things, we're going to have two 15 minute shows. So until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.